We stand on a beach of brown sand in Barangay San Roque, in the sleepy town of San Jose, Occidental Mindoro. The shore, lined with boats of all sizes, now comes alive. This barangay is a port. It's the pride of San Jose, which is 10 hours away by boat and car from Manila. The people of San Jose are greeted by these waves in the morning, and these waves lull them to sleep at night. These are the waves that take them to where they fish, the deep sea, where they catch fish and squid. For the 22 fishermen of fishing boat Jemver, this is where the story of their encounter with death begins. I am Rambo Talabo. I am Sofia Tomacruz. We speak at length to the 22 fishermen of Jemver. This is their story. The men of Jemver begin their voyage to Recto or Reed Bank on May 29, 2019. They collect stones and feathers for their trip into open waters that will take half a month. There are 22 of them. The captain, Junel Insigne, the mechanic, Boy Gorjones, the cook, Richard Blaza, and 19 other fishermen. On May 29, they board the fishing boat, which they call a cascasan, or a vessel that can carry 20 to 30 men. Jemver has been passed on from one generation to the next in the De La Torre family. It was bought by Patriarch Fel De La Torre in 2002, when he worked in Taiwan. After he passed away, he gave it to the present owner, his oldest son, Felix De La Torre. De La Torre sees his men off that fateful Wednesday morning. The men of Jemver sail for a day towards Culion in the western Philippine island of Palawan where they get their water supply and ice to keep the fish fresh. Culion is a refuge for fishermen from many parts of the country. After resting, they head out for Rectobank, which is two days away. As the silhouette of islands fade on the horizon, they call their families and loved ones before they lose mobile signals. Further out at sea, a radio remains their only connection to other vessels and to home. At the reed bank, the fishermen are in their element. These are the men who are used to life at sea. Their day goes like this. They awaken before dawn, preparing their strings, stones, and baits. They eat breakfast, and then they board their cowl. The kayak-sized wooden boats. The first drop-off happens at 6 a.m. For every half mile, five descend into the water on their little boats to look for fishing spots. If they get lucky, they find an area teeming with high-priced fish, like snappers, marlins, and salmons. If their luck runs out, they catch tapon, cheap fish which become part of the crew's meal when they get back to the boat. For ours, they drop their strings, 
weighed down by rocks. A chicken feather is tied to each string to lure fish. By 11 a.m., the fishermen are picked up again by their captain. Their lunch prepared by the cook, Richard. They are dropped off again by 1 p.m. and fetched by 5 p.m. At night, they rest. The men of Jember do this for at least two weeks to reach their quota of four tons. If they catch less, they will come home to death. Trouble comes on their ninth night, June 9, in Recto Bank. The crew's cook, Richard Blaza, has just finished cooking rice for the next day's breakfast. He lies down at the tail end of the boat, hoping to catch some sleep. The captain, Junal Insigne, sleeps inside the cabin, sharing the boat's only room with Boy Gorgiones' two sons, Jomar and JP. Fast asleep by the foot of the cabin's starboard door is Edgar Martinez, one of Jember's veteran fishermen. On top of the cabin, nine men sleep next to each other. Brothers Frederick and Jeffrey Roldan, their cousin Mark, Ramil Agustin, Melchiades Tiamzon, Arnel Gadon, Bani Condesa, Justin Pakaul, and Jovin Asinto. On the roof of Richard's improvised kitchen sleep seven others. Ramil Gregorio, his son Jimwell, his cousins, the brothers Lim Gregorio and Limwell Gregorio, and middle-aged fisherman Antonio Torres Jr., Cirilo Escoterio, and Regan Santa Maria. But before Blaza could doze off, the roar of an engine catches his attention. He looks out and sees a metal vessel approaching fast. They were about to be hit. Blaza rushes towards the captain, shouting to awaken the others. Insignia awakens with a start and lunges for the wheel. But it is too late. The vessel rams the boat's rear, leaving a gaping hole which sucks in water fast. The aggressor's ship has metal cranes jutting out from its sides, toppling Jember's masts where the fishermen hang their lights. Most of the crew are able to run to the boat's front. Justin Pakaol and JP Gordiones fall into the water but are able to board their small boats. After impact, the vessel makes a U-turn and some of the fishermen recognize it. They have seen boats like this before. The boat turns on all its lights. No other class of boats of that size are equipped with such powerful lights. It is clearly a Chinese trawler. The crew wave their arms, shouting for help. The two onboard the small boats row closer and see shadows of people standing still. After three minutes, the boat kills all its lights and speeds off. A 
abandoning the men of Jemver to the mercy of the open seas. They see death coming. It's just a matter of time for men overboard to succumb to hypothermia or go under rough waves. Alone in the dark, the men of Jember are left to drown. As captain, Insignia quickly takes charge. He looks far into the endless sea and focuses on the brightest light in the distance. Justin Pakaol and JP Gordianes, two of Jember's youngest, are told to row towards it. It is 2 a.m. We estimate the light to be some five nautical miles away. Still, they couldn't be sure. Together, the two row against waves and strong winds. They hope to reach the light source before sunrise. In the thick of the night, the pair could barely see each other in the dark. Two hours after they leave the Jemver wreckage, Pakool and Gordianus approach the light that they saw from afar. Up close, they see a familiar vessel marked TGTG-90983TS. They had seen it a few times before and wrecked the bank. They identify it as the Vietnamese vessel. By now, Pakuol's hands are shaking. He looks at the ship before them, afraid that this foreign ship, like the Chinese vessel, would also abandon them. Together, Pakuol and Gordiana shout, Vietnam, help us! The Vietnamese crew hear their cries and peer over the side of the vessel. They see two men in tiny boats. Pakaol and Gordianes try to tell the Vietnamese about their trouble. They scoop up seawater to their boats to convey that their mother fishing boat had sunk. The Vietnamese throw down flashlights so they could see the two more clearly. Then, drop a nylon cord and gesture for the two to come on board. On the ship, Pakaol connects his two index figures as he says, Vietnam, Philippines, friends. The Vietnamese reply, okay. The trip back to Denver takes another hour. Back at the wreckage, the rest of the men are finally thankfully rescued. As they assist the men, the Vietnamese spot Jimboy, Jember's dog. The mongrel managed to survive the ramming and made its way to the top of the cabin's roof. They rescue Jimboy too. Aboard the Vietnamese vessel, fishermen from both countries communicate mostly through gestures. 
The Filipinos are given dry clothes and served chicken, noodles, rice, and biscuits. The Vietnamese laugh as the men of Jember fail to eat the chopsticks. When the meal is over, the Vietnamese show the Filipinos what they are watching on their mobile phone. Tired from the night's ordeal, the Filipinos sleep. The next morning, Insignia sends out a call for help to fellow vessels from the Philippines. The alert is picked up by Filipino fishing vessels nearby. Fishing boats Jember Dos, AG Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving 5, and Jovens. In San Jose, Wilson Mahinay, captain of the fishing boat M2M, hears about Jember sinking from a homebound ship. After the call, Mahinay and Jember's owner Felix de la Torre gather men and set out for one of their own. Waves whip and winds howl as M2M leaves the shores of San Jose that morning. It sails 46 hours straight. On June 12, Philippine Independence Day, M2M arrives in Recto Bank. Crew from the boats work to patch up Jember. They struggle to hammer the nails underwater, a painfully slow process. The men's skin itch from swimming in water soaked in dead fish. After half a day's work, they are ready to bring whatever is left of Jember home. As they sail back, the world finds out about their plight. Kung kailan pa man din Filipino-Chinese Friendship Day nitong June 9, masaklap ang sinapit ng ilang mangingisdang Pinoy mula sa isang Chinese fishing vessel. Binangga ng Chinese vessel ang Pilipinong bangkang pangisda na nauwi sa paglubog nito sa bahagi ng Recto Bank sa Palawan. Hating gabi noong June 9, binangga ng isang Chinese fishing vessel ang isang bangka ng mga Pinoy na mangingisda habang nakaangkla sa bahagi ng Recto Bank sa West Philippine Sea. Kinundinan ng palasyo ang ginawang pagbangga at pag-iwan ng mga Chinese sa ilang mangingisdang Pinoy sa West Philippine Sea. Hirit ni Presidential Spokesperson Salvador Panelo ang civilized ang pag-iwan sa kanila sa laot. In an angry statement, Defense Secretary Delphine Lorenzana condemns the quote-unquote cowardly action of the Chinese vessel that abandoned the Filipinos. On the evening of June 14, what matters to the men of Jember is that they are home, standing on the shores of San Jose, in the arms of their family. So, 
it's been two months since the collision. What has happened since? Well, in the two months since the ramming, we know for a fact that several officials have come into the men of Denver's hometown, such as Energy Secretary of Wansukusi, and of course, who could forget what he said? Let's take a listen. So, as of now, kasi sasabihin natin kung talagang babanggayin, eh, bakit yung, yung usapan ba, no? Uh, uh, pwede naman, sasabihin natin, napakabulok naman yung babangga. The police lang, na yung... And of course, President Duterte himself has actually already spoken about the issue. And this is what he had to say. Biyang nangyari dyan sa banggaan, that is a maritime incident. Huwag kayong maniwala dyan sa mga politiko na bubo. No? So, we also know for a fact that the assistance that the Jemver men have received hasn't been enough. Because, you know, they've lost months of working, their boat is still destroyed, still being repaired, and the fish that they actually got from the very last ship they've had, they couldn't sell it because everything was lost at sea. Which brings to mind, how are the fishermen now? Where are they? And what exactly are they doing? Because they haven't been able to go back into the deep sea. So up until now, the men of Jemver are still in San Roque, in Occidental Mandoro, mm-hmm. still trying to cope up with what happened to them because it's really a traumatizing experience and they haven't gone back to sea two months after. Actually, when we were covering this, they were always saying optimistically that they would be back at sea after two months, after three months, but two months have passed and they're still trying to rebuild their lives. They're still trying to go back to normalcy, but it seems like it's still far from reach. Right, which, I mean, I couldn't forget it. Do you remember them telling you that in the days that we were speaking to them, that they had a hard time sleeping? If they would sleep at night, they would still see the, the image of the vessel in their mind, and that even during the daytime, just getting through the day and finishing it was a challenge. And actually, they have their own ways of coping. There are those who drink, like Joven Asinto, and then there are those who just keep on working, like Boy Gorjones. But zooming out from what happened to these men, Sofia, what do you think is the impact of what happened to these men, this traumatizing experience, mm-hmm. to the big picture? Why does the story matter? Well, in my point of view, I think the story matters because... Finally, after three years of being under the Duterte administration, remember we came off, we came from the Aquino administration where the position against China, especially in the West Philippine Sea, was a lot more aggressive. We were very much assertive of our rights. We took them to court and we won. That win came in during the, the Duterte administration. So finally, we see the consequences of the choice Duterte has made to shelve that ruling and cultivate friendlier ties with China. I can't forget what, what Felix de la Torre said, that out at sea, where they see all these Chinese vessels coming in, mm-hmm. these foreign vessels coming in, it felt as though Filipino fishermen were slaves of China. That was a really powerful thing for him to say because 
Finally, we also see the consequences of the choices that the administration has made, what the policy towards the West Philippine Sea has on the real lives of fishermen. Mm-hmm. And when this whole thing was happening, of course, we always heard from the top them doubting the accounts of the fishermen. So I think that besides all the big picture policy things, it was important and this story mattered because it attests to what happened that night. What they saw, what they felt, what was going through their mind. The fact that with all of that, this thing did happen. Even if it was really far away, we couldn't see it. It happened. Which brings to mind, this was such a... It was a big, it was a life-changing thing for them. And we finally saw the repercussions, right? So, I don't know. What what do you think comes next? Actually, I would say what they told us. I know this. They're also not sure what will happen next. But what they know of is the fear of going back to Reed Bank, to Recto Bank, a place that they've fished at for generations. They really don't know if they will f- ever feel safe again and actually I remember a very striking thing that the captain journal insigne told me one time did they have to die before the government believed them 